So Paul started Colossians 3 with encouraging the believers to seek what? What did he seek the believer? And what did the, he encourage the believer to seek? Come on. Remember. Seek. Seek things above. Yay! <laughs> seek things above. Meaning that we are to seek Christ and all that he has given us in salvation. So we are called to set our minds and hearts on Christ because he is our life. Last week we focused on living as a child of God. Our identity in Christ calls us to put off sin and to put on righteousness. And we saw that sin begins in the heart and that it pushes, um, pushes out love and worship for God aside to love something else other than him. Paul is reminding the believers that we now live in a new identity and that we have a new self when we are operating out of our new identity in Christ and we can see unity in relationships that we have. So this week we will continue to see these realities take place in our relationships and especially within ourselves. So let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us together today to worship you and your truths that are found in Colossians. Heavenly Father, we ask you to open the eyes of our hearts to see your truths and to desire you, and that you will show us how to despise sin within our hearts and to desire to put on your righteousness. And we know through your truths that we have the power of the Holy Spirit given to us through your Son, Jesus Christ, to live victoriously here on earth. We love and praise you. Amen. So our title for this week is Living in the Body. And we have two sections that we're going to be going over. The first section is Allowing Christ, which is Colossians 3, 15 through 16. And the second is Living Out Christ in 3, 17 through 4, 1. So let's go ahead and we're going to read Colossians 3, 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. So what exactly is the peace of Christ? Well, the salutation, peace be with you, began with Jesus in John 20, 19, 21, and 26. So when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hand and his side. The disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Then in John 16, 33, Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you, so that in me you may have peace. And in the world you have tribulations, but take courage. I have overcome the world. So we have this new identity in Christ, yet there is a responsibility on our part to allow the peace of Christ to rule within us. So how do we allow the peace of Christ to rule in our hearts, especially when we're faced with tribulations and trials and suffering? Well, the other day, I don't know if you all had, have ever had this problem before, but I know I do. There are days when uh, my, I am overcome with different situations or different problems. 
this particular day, I felt like I was being hit from every direction. Do you guys feel like that? You guys? And then all of a sudden, fear started creeping into my thoughts. And then what happened? My soul became overcome with the circumstances here on earth. So I was going about my day with this heavy heart and which, with problems that I thought were uncontrollable. And then all of a sudden on the radio, a song came on. And I don't remember the song. I don't remember who, who sang it. But there were two phrases that kept repeating itself. And the two phrases were, fear not. And the second one is, our Savior is perfect. Well, as that song kept going over and over and repeating this, truths of God started to bombard my, my mind and my heart. Truths that I've been studying, truths that were held in that reservoir of my heart, truths about my God and my Savior started to calm the storm in my heart. But we have an identity in Christ that we no longer run instinctively to our old ways, but we do, don't we? We do. It was my first instinct when this happened for me to go run to what I knew. So let me encourage you that through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can train our hearts to run to the Lord. But it will always be a battle between what we knew in our old self and what we desire in our new self. For me, it's a daily moment-by-moment moment fight to allow the peace of Christ to rule in my heart. The second part of Colossians 3.15 says, To which indeed we are called in one body. Well, the statement, indeed, we are called in, in one body, we've seen it all through Colossians. We saw it in Colossians 1.18, 1.24, 2 2.19. 2.19. And we have learned that the references of the body is the church, and that the head of the body is Jesus Christ. So the end of Colossians ends in a three-word sentence, and be thankful. And Nancy Lee DeMoss, and I'm not going to say her last name, maybe Jen. Oh, whew. Okay, say it again. Walgamuth's book. Well, in her book, <laughs> Choosing Gratitude, she makes the point that we are either whining or worshiping. Our natural sinful states makes us prone to see what we lack, what we don't have, what's gone wrong in our lives. And complaining is our way that our flesh deals with our circumstances. It's natural for us to complain of things not going our way or how we've been mistreated by others. Our fleshly nature is to stand up for our rights. And when we don't get what we want or what we think is rightfully ours, then we get angry and then we're in despair. Just like I was in despair the other day. Well, this, isn't, this is dangerous and this leads to the sin of entitlement. Then discontentment starts growing within us and then we become surrounded by a dark cloud of unmet expectations of our hearts. It's like this dark cloud standing over us. And this is where sin begins in the heart, and it pushes our love and worship for God aside to love something other than him. In the story that I just told you about that fear creeping into my heart, well, once the storm calmed, I needed to go back to identify what initially led me to that point. 
What was at the root of my restless heart, which was sin? And I had to stop in that moment, and I had to lay it before my Lord and Savior. And then I praised him and thanked him for what he was doing within me. So here in Colossians, Paul understands our nature to be thankful. We need to be thankful. We've seen it in Colossians 1.3, 1.12, 3.15, 4.2. The theme of thanksgiving runs, not only runs through Colossians, but it also runs throughout all of Scripture. In 1 Thessalonians 5.18, it reminds us that it is God's will for us to give thanks in all circumstances. God has called us to be thankful people. So we have five tactics that I'm going to give you about to help you with your thanksgiving. First, fill your mind with the truths of God. Ladies, we need to be in his word. We need to fill the reservoir of our hearts with his truths. And number two, remember God's goodness and faithfulness to you. We are a people who forget unless we are constantly reminded of God's goodness and faithfulness. You know, the reading worksheets are wonderful tools to use in your prayer time. Simply take the truths that you have learned about Jesus, God, and the gospel, and then pray those truths as thanksgiving to help keep your mind on our God and King's goodness and faithfulness. And number three, pray that God would enable you to guard your mouth. Instead of venting your frustration, look for reasons to replace your frustration with rejoicing. It's my prayer every day that God would enable me to rejoice in the good and the bad. um, The good and the bad. Those circumstances um, that happen in your life, you need to remind yourself that God is good and faithful. Look for the good in the situation. And then number four, put your thankfulness into words. Start writing down things that you are grateful for, ladies. We have so much to be grateful for. We all have roofs over our heads, food on our table. We are abundantly blessed. But most importantly, we are chosen children of God. And we have the privilege to go to him, go to his throne through the gift of his son Jesus. We have so much to be thankful for. Then fifth, look for specific evidences of God's grace. It's all over our day. We just need to look for it. When you find it, ask God to grant you an attitude of awe and amazement that the God of the universe loves you so much that he blessed you in that moment. Let's go on with Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So how do we let the word of Christ dwell within us richly? First of all, we don't read the Bible like the newspaper. We read the word with purpose pursuing our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Ladies, we are not just readers of the word of God. We are partakers of the word of God. We are to meditate on his word. We are to let it penetrate in us. We are to allow it to frustrate us. We need to allow the word of God to do surgery on us. We need to sit under the weight of it, and we need to allow the word of God to expose us and to flick off the scabs of our broken hearts. And as we've been studying here in Colossians and working through the reading worksheet, 
we have a mindset, don't we? We have a mindset of thinking things above. We are pursuing our Lord and Savior. We are searching for truths about him. We are allowing the weight of God's word to open our hearts to the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. And as we have this purpose as our mindset, it produces a heart that will desire to worship, trust, and obey God. So let so our hearts can focus on God, on Christ, with the willingness to trust and obey him. So let's go ahead and let's reread Colossians 3.16, this portion of it. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. This is a command. This is an imperative. So the rest of Colossians 3.16 goes on to say, with teaching and admonishing one another with wisdom. Well, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, then you are a teacher of Jesus Christ. We illuminate him in all, throughout all areas of our lives. Ladies, we teach our children and we teach others by uh, daily about Christ and how we live our life. Are we admonishing one another in wisdom? So what does admonishing mean? The Lexicon Greek Dictionary says to admonish means to warn and exhort. Are we admonishing each other with warnings and encouraging in all wisdom? Or are we pointing out faults to glorify ourselves, to make ourselves feel better about our own sin? So the rest of the scripture ends with singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in our hearts. I was amazed when I found out that the Bible contains 400 references to singing and 50 direct commands to sing. The longest book in the Bible is Psalms, and it's a book of songs. And in the New Testament, we are commanded twice to sing to one another when we meet. So those, these verses are located in Ephesians 5.19 and, of course, here in Colossians 3.16. So why are God's people throughout history always singing, and why do we sing? One reason is that God himself sings over us. In Zephaniah 3.17, it says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. And he will exalt over you with loud singing. Isn't it amazing that God himself sings loudly over his people? Have you ever gone up in the morning with a worship song in your heart? I love that. I believe God placed that melody in my heart to begin my day of worshiping him. So there is something amazing about singing the truths of our Lord and Savior. It goes deeper within our hearts and it penetrates to the depths of our soul. So I believe when we sing corporately, it is a small glimpse of what heaven's going to be like. Can you imagine what it will be like to stand together in the presence of God singing praises to him? We will be so transfixed on his radiance, we will all be laying flat on our faces because we will be singing to the king of kings. But singing shouldn't only happen in church. It should be happening throughout our day, worshiping our king should be done moment by moment, and especially when we're battling sin and temptation. 
singing songs with thankfulness in our hearts to God penetrates us to the depths of our soul, and especially when we're choosing to live in our new identity and dying to our old identity. So let's review this last section. Um, We learned that we as believers have a responsibility of allowing Christ to work within us. We learned that we are either whining or worshiping, but in our new identity, we worship God with a grateful heart. And when we, and we learn that singing it, um, to God is an important aspect of our new identity. So let's go to the second section, which is Colossians 3.17. And whatever you do in word and deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father. Well, these, um, you saw that there were two important simul- similar um, scriptures, right? If, if we can call these as bookends. And usually when you see similar scriptures, it, it usually sandwiches something very, very important. So if you look at Colossians 3.17, of course, it says, In whatever you do in word and deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father. But then if you go down to Colossians 3.23, Paul says it in more description. And whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, know that, know, knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance as a, a reward as you are saving, as you're serving the Lord Christ. So we studied in Colossians 3 that we are, um, that God is creating a new community of, of renewed people in Christ Jesus. This community of renewed people who are serving the Lord Jesus Christ are living out in relationships what Christ has done internally. This community of people who once found significance in the world now find their significance in Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ is their all in all. Yet, even though we are renewed people, we have a tendency to run back to our old self. And that's why these bookmarks are placed here right in this section, reminding the believer before he goes on to the list of commands who we are serving. Paul gets specific concerning relationships that are closest to us because those closest to us see who we really are, which we are all sinners saved by the grace of God through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So let's read about these relationships. First on the list, which it kind of is interesting. Why are we always being picked on as wives and women? But anyways, it was, wives is first on the list. So what are we instructed to do as wives? We are to submit to our husbands. Why? Because it's fitting to the Lord. And husbands are commanded to love their wives and not to be harsh with them. And children are commanded to obey their parents in everything because it pleases the Lord. And we see the command for fathers to not provoke their children. And why aren't they to provoke their children? Because that way they aren't discouraged. Bond servants to obey everything, those who are your earthly masters, not way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart fearing the Lord. But to really understand these commands, we need to go back to Colossians 3.12. It shows us how we are a new creation, how we should conduct ourselves. We are chosen by God. We are holy and beloved because of the high cost of Jesus' sacrificial love for us on the cross. And then there's a shift 
in, in Colossians um, 3.12, where it shows what we should have, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. Well, because of time constraints, we can only talk about one of these. So uh, interestingly, I looked up the word compassionate hearts. Now, don't laugh. The definition in the Greek is bowels, B-O-W-E-L-S, of mercy and kindness. Well, then when I saw bowels, I had to go up and look up bowels. So bowels means the deepest affection of mercy that you could have for someone. So what would our lives look like if we approached all of our relationships with the deepest affection of mercy, viewing our relationships in light of how Christ forgave us and had mercy on us? What would our marriages look like if we approached our husbands with the deepest affection of mercy? Well, years ago, I was very overwhelmed with my with my marriage and my relationship and my, with my husband. And honestly, I had not one shred of deepest affection of mercy for him. Honestly, I had the opposite. I was always looking for faults in him. And then one day, my heart was so overwhelmed, I was determined to sit down and write on a three-by-five card, what would make Kyle a better husband? And I'm going to read it to you. <laughs> so on this card, I wrote, well, if... Kyle loved the Lord with all of his heart, then we wouldn't have these issues. And if he just read his Bible more and had love for the word, then he could love the Lord more than he could love me. And then if he could only rejoice in all circumstances in life, that would be so much better for me and the kids. And as I started to pray these things and these areas of my husband's heart, I thought, the Holy Spirit impressed on me, Rebecca, what if you only love me with all of your heart, soul, mind, strength? Then you could love Kyle more. And if you read your Bible and yearned and thirst for the war, for the word, then I then you know you would you, I would grant you the strength to love Kyle where he's at. And if you rejoiced in all circumstances, can you imagine imagine what your life would look like and what your family's life would look like? So, ladies, I've been praying this prayer for a very, very long time. And I could tell you that when I stopped looking at the faults of my husband and I started looking at my reactions and my actions towards him, there was a shift in our relationship because there was a shift in my relationship with my Lord and Savior. So let's go back to Colossians 3.23. So whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance as a reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Well, John Piper says, and it's kind of a little long, so bear with me, but this is so worth reading. When you see what doing something for the Lord means not doing something to meet his needs, but doing something to receive his reward, it changes everything. It motivates our obedience because we see that doing something for the Lord means pursuing more joy in him. It humbles our hearts because we see that obedience is not about giving God something he needs. It's about God giving us something we need 
We need more joy in him. And it purifies our motives because it takes our focus off of impressing others with our obedience and puts it on seeking joy in God through our obedience. We are not working for the Lord for eye service or as people pleasers, but we are doing this with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. We are working for him and not for man. So let's look at this last um, verse, Colossians 3.25. I have heard it from last <laughs> um, la- yesterday morning and last night and this morning. Wasn't that chart challenging? Yeah. Well, and it was supposed to be challenging. And let me explain why. The reason why is that this chart, many times when we're reading scripture and we come to a scripture we don't understand, we just skip it. And we put it away and we don't um, address it or we put our own opinion in it. Well, um, the chart was to encourage you to go and read the before context and the after context and to struggle with it. And when you struggle to learn a scripture, then learning is occurring. So it's a good thing. So when I first read this verse, I thought this verse is totally out of place. But then after researching it, I found that this is the best place for the verse. To understand the verse, in the chart, you had to go and look up the before scripture was whatever you do, work heartily for the Lord. And then the after scripture talks about masters, right? And interestingly, masters was separated from that whole list of wives, husband, children, bond servant. It was put by itself. Um, put by itself after all of these instructions. So to also understand this particular um, scripture, you need to know what was going on in Colossae at the time. Slavery was legal in Colossae at the time Paul wrote the letter. There were masters who were believers in Jesus Christ um, who owned slaves. And as Paul writes this letter, he's reminding the masters of their slaves that they're working for the Lord, that they will receive an inheritance, that um, they are serving the Lord, and that they aren't, and if they aren't treating their slaves correctly as believers in Christ Jesus, they will be paid back for what they have done. So the wrongdoer in this not only is the master, right? The wrongdoer is sin, sin in all of our lives. God has no partiality when it comes to sin. God hates sin, and us in our new identity we should hate sin. But praise God, we have a Savior who carried the penalty of sin. So let's review what we've learned in the second half. We learned that God is creating a community of renewed people in Christ Jesus, a community of renewed people who are serving the Lord Jesus Christ, who are living out in relationship what Christ has done in them internally. And then we learned that we are working heartily for the Lord. We are pursuing more joy in him. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the opportunity to proclaim you. Heavenly Father, we ask that you will enable us through the power of your Holy Spirit to love you, our Lord and King, with all of our hearts and all of our soul and with all of our strength and with all of our mind. Help us through the power of the Holy Spirit to yearn and thirst for your word. Grant us a heart that rejoices in all circumstances. Help us to love others with a heart of deepest affection of mercy, 
like the mercy you gave us through Jesus Christ. Purge pridefulness from the depths of who we are and replace our prideful hearts with humility. Help us to despise sin and to forsake it from our hearts. We know that this is only done through the power of your Holy Spirit that is in work, working within us. As you grow us and the magnitude of the sacrificial gift of Jesus Christ grows within us, we ask you that you give us your attributes to the fruit of the Spirit. And we ask that you will enable us to rejoice and look forward to your second coming. We thank you and praise you for the abundant blessings you have given to us undeserving people. We thank you for all you have done through your son, Jesus Christ. In your name I pray, amen. <laughs>